Today's date is Sunday, July 25th, 2021. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page six, starting with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness, up to and including page eight, no words can tell of the loneliness through the end of that paragraph. Rita Q will be our reader, followed by a 20 minute share by Marianne from Georgia. Morning, Rita. Good morning. The remorse, horror and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Jim would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvellous mechanisms for mind. For mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leapt. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity and so did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking and I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that an alcoholic's will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was on, was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker on the asylum, or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, into the dark, joining the endless procession of sots who had gone on before. 
I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Thank you, Rita. Now it's uh, my pleasure to introduce Marianne from Georgia, who is with us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope. Good morning, everybody. Hi, I'm Marianne D, recovered uh, overeater in Atlanta. And uh, Kim shared at the beginning about uh, she and I being work acquaintances, um, and we really didn't even know it until we got back together in our um, fellowship in OA. But I want to tell um, another part of the story. And um, that is that um, in 2014, I came back into the rooms, and I'll get to that history in just a second. And I was doing my step work and uh, listening to the uh, 7 a.m. meeting. And I had a major disagreement with my current sponsor about how to um, finish the fourth step. And it was a disagreement that was a deal breaker and um, it just could not be reconciled. So uh, the first thing I did was hit my knees and say, okay, I'm, you know, uh, to my higher power, I'm not giving up my momentum. Um, I'm going to press forward and who do I need to reach out to, to listen to my fifth step? And don't you know what I heard in my spirit was, I need you to call Kim G. And I said, are you kidding me? Really? Are you kidding me? Everybody wants to work with Kim G. Everybody, everybody. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be obedient. And so I um, knew how to reach out to her and I did. And in her Kim G South Jersey kind of way, I get her on the phone. She doesn't know me from Adam. And she said, what, what exactly is it that you want from me? And I thought, thank God I had an answer. And I said, I need you to hear my fifth step. And she said, okay, you know, Monday at eight o'clock, uh, show up and be ready. And I was. And so that's the second part of the story um, about how she and I became acquainted And then we retraced our history back to uh, the work acquaintance uh, back in 2005. And so it is a uh, pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to be able to say that I have um, worked with her and uh, that we're still acquaintances to this day. And I'm I'm so grateful that she reached out to me. So so the moral of that story is um, obedience um, is the... um, (laughs) Uh, is the bottom line for me, um, obedience to the principles of the program and obedience to when my, uh, you know, higher power uh, tells me to do something. So um, in my um, history of 12 step, uh, speaker meetings are my all time favorite meetings. Hands down, they are. And I've had more breakthroughs in my recovery and in my program, um, listening to speaker meetings and and attending speaker meetings. And so um, we all know that, uh, you know, when when people share their story, there's a, you know, a common thread that goes through there. And it is, you know, what it used to be like, 
what happened and what it's like now. And so as I um, uh, meditated and contemplated on our reading this morning, uh, if we just literally read the first sentence of our text this morning, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable, or even just the remorse, horror, and hopelessness, and then skip over to page eight and read the first paragraph, first sentence of our last paragraph, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. For me, that sums up <laughs> what it used to be like. And the uh, text in between, you know, goes into detail about how many, how often, you, you know, how many pepperoni pizzas, how many of this, how many of that, you know, in Bill's case, of course, it was alcohol. But when I came to the rooms, I was remorseful and I was in horror at my behavior and I was hopeless and I was lonely and I had so much despair and I was full of self-pity. And um, later on in Bill's story, he talks about uh, the visit from Ebby. Well, I had an Ebby um, in my life as well. And so what happened on March the 12th in 1998 was I went to a luncheon, a work luncheon, and we, um, somebody, it was a going away luncheon. And um, now I was the party planner and that's not an accident. Um, I was a party planner on purpose. I was the one that coordinated all of these things and it gave me a chance to, you know, graze and set the menu and whatever. But on that particular day, we were at a restaurant and I finished my plate, what, what I had for lunch, of course, I never left anything on my plate. And then I was eating off everybody's plate in arm's length at the table. And I was mortified. I was just mortified by my behavior. Um, you know, all of our stories are different. That might not seem like a big deal to somebody, but it was a big deal to me. And it was the thing that prompted me to call my, um, my Ebby. And uh, that night I was putting things down the garbage disposal. And the next day was my abstinence date. And it is March the 13th, 1998. Now, I sure wish I could say that um, I have been absent all, the, all this time, and, um, but unfortunately I cannot. And I'm just gonna start quickly, uh, ask quickly, Kim, are you, um, are you timing? I forgot to, I had my timer all ready to go and I forgot to turn it on. Yeah, I, you have um, 14 minutes. Do you want me to give you a five minute warning or? Yes, that'd be great, okay. thank you, thank you. And, um, so yes, I wish I could say that I had been absent all this time, um, but I can't. My story includes lots of time um, in and, but mostly time out of the rooms since 1998. And um, I won't go into a lot of that detail, but uh, I can say with complete certainty and sincerity that every time I went out, 
it was because my spiritual condition had gotten to a place where, um, you know, it would not sustain my abstinence. And, you know, we read our 10 step promises. Um, uh, for me, you can have the ninth step promises all day long, but give me the 10 step promises. Because for me, the neutrality is what is really liberating uh, to me. And it's the thing that set me free from the grip of what Bill talks about. Um, you know, alcohol was my master and food, food was my master. And um, I was um, like, uh, like in this last paragraph, um, uh, the quicksand, oh my gosh, the quicksand stretched around me in all directions. Um, every time there was a um, uh, something frustrating that happened at work or with a coworker or in my family situation or at the grocery store or whatever, my biggest trigger that I found out all these years is um, frustration for me. Um, some people, you know, it's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I actually at, you know, put an F in front of that and mine are actually fault. Frustrated, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, but mostly frustration is the thing that will send me to the food. And the quicksand for me was that I could not get ready to do anything challenging or hard or something that I didn't know how to do without shoring myself up with the food. So what that made me then was um, a liar. And that was a really hard pill to swallow for me as I um, did my spiritual work all these years, that I was totally a liar. And that manifested itself in, um, I, I traveled for a long, long time at work. And so I left on Sunday and <clears throat> got back on Thursday. And so, uh, you know, if I got ready to do something that was hard, I would just leave work and go to the grocery store and, and, you know, shore up the, the reserves, the food reserves, because I knew I was getting ready to do something that um, was hard and something that was going to frustrate me. And, you know, none of that time was um, accounted for. I, uh, you know, I billed for it, I got paid for it, and um, it turned me into a liar. And so, um, so I want to jump to then uh, what happened in uh, 2014 when I came back into the rooms for the final time. And um, it was August of 2014. And my spiritual condition had sunk to an all time low. I was living with a sibling and my nephew and my sibling and I were not getting along. Things were not going well in the household. And I literally engaged my nephew who at the time would have been um, six, six, okay, six years old to um, talk about his father, to talk bad about his father. And I thought, oh, my God, have I sunk to the lowest of lows. And in that moment, I said, now I was 70 pounds overweight, but I said, I don't care if I lose one pound, I have got to come back into the rooms to the place where I know I can build my spiritual foundation back. 
And that was the motivation for me to um, come back into the rooms. And so um, I got busy in the solution, just like, um, uh, you know, just like everybody else does, what, whatever that path of solution is for you. For me, it happens to be uh, lots of meetings and lots of outreach. And so it wasn't that big of a stretch uh, the next uh, spring when I got, you know, got done doing my step work and you know, God said, you know, I want you to reach out to Kim G. Well, i have been picking up the phone for years because it literally is um, one of the uh, cornerstones of my um, spiritual condition. And so um, while I did, you know, roll my eyes and go, okay, this is never going to work because Kim G, everybody wants to work with Kim G. You know, I did it anyway. And, you know, that rest is history. But the other thing I want to talk about then in the time I have left is that these characteristics of what it, what it was like, the remorse, the horror, the hopelessness, um, the loneliness, despair, self-pity, and quicksand, I can tell you from personal experience that some of those feelings were exactly the same when I was on my recovery journey. And you all, that hit me up the side of the head like a two by four, because I thought, oh, well, I'm gonna put the food down, I am gonna lose weight, and then things are just gonna miraculously happen, and I am gonna be on the road of happy, joyous, and free. And it, that's not what happened. That is, uh, it happened eventually, but it did not happen the way I thought it was going to happen. And so um, it took me a long time to realize that um, the pain feels exactly the same, except the pain of the disease is completely different than the pain of recovery. Because the pain of the disease never ends. There is never any end in sight to the, to the pain of the disease. It is just like Groundhog Day over and over and over and over. The same feelings that Bill is talking about in our text today, you know, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair. But sometimes the pain of recovery feels the same way. But I did get a revelation that the, there is an end to the pain of recovery. And here's how it happened for me. Um, I knew I had to do something and this was back in 2014, and because of my spiritual condition, and I just purposed in my heart that every day I was not gonna turn back. And so I, I had this image of me in a cave, cold, dark, wet, scary, and I literally could not feel or see what was in front of me, but I was walking just really slow, just hour by hour, day by day. 
um, going toward recovery. And the visual I had was that there were people who couldn't touch me, but they were cheering me on. They were behind this, you know, glass in the, you know, in the cave and they were cheering me on. And I just kept walking and putting one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. And don't you know, thank you. And don't you know that I literally turned the corner and there was daylight and there was daylight. And if I had not kept going forward and just taking it a little as a, at a time, trying not to judge, you know, the um, amount of my progress or the, or the weight loss or any of that, I, I never would have made it. And when I got the revelation that sometimes the pain of the disease feels the same as the pain of recovery. Now I had a real tool in my toolbox. And, and the more I use that tool and share it with the people that I love, I've, I've, um, I've used it to counsel and um, coach my sister um, I've used it to counsel and coach my nephew and numbers and numbers of people in the program as I've worked with them. Um, I am so incredibly grateful that I kept going and that I didn't, uh, I didn't stop. The other thing that um, went along with this revelation was um, that you know, there is an enemy in this program and um, it's cunning, baffling and powerful. And I, I had the revelation that if I thought the enemy was just gonna let me sashay across the street from, you know, um, you know despair and hopeless and self-pity and quicksand over to happy, joyous and free without a fight, um, I was sadly mistaken. And I, for me, I, you know, put together that equation that the, that, that pain of recovery, because it felt the same as the pain of the disease, it was really the enemy um, trying to just throw me off my game and, and keep me back over to, you know, the side of the street that was the disease that was never going to get better. And so as I, like I said, as I meditated on our text today, I, you know, I just kept reading, I kept reading the first sentence and the last paragraph. And, you know, part of that was just to make sure, okay, you know, do I know the text? You know, Kim gave me the instructions, you know, I want to be sure I'm following directions. And as I kept flipping back and forth and back and forth, I thought, oh my gosh, there it is. That is the pain of the disease, you know, and all that stuff in between, like I said, you know, the numbers of this and that, and the, you know, you know, that really those are, are the symptoms. Uh, but this for me was the problem. And I'm so happy and grateful, totally grateful that I, like I said, I didn't stop and that I had, I have now those tools in my toolbox the one, you know, revelation about the 
sometimes the pain of recovery can feel like the same thing. And what the enemy tries to do when we, you know, decide to, you know, walk across the street and be on a different path. And so with that, um, I'm a little bit early, but uh, that'll just give us more time to share. And with that, Kim, uh, or our moderator, I'm sorry, I'm going to uh, close now and uh, pass you the baton back.